Hello, I'm Shelly Till. Welcome to the Too Much Grit to Quit podcast, where I speak to some of the greatest athletic minds about overcoming adversity and building your grit muscle. My guest today started her sports career as a women's basketball player at the University of Oklahoma and then went on to be a first round draft pick in the WNBA for the Washington Mystics and transitioned after that into a broadcasting career where currently she is a member of the NFL Network. Please welcome Stacey Dales. Hey, Stace, how are you? What's up, Shelly? I mean, we've waited this long to do this, but I'm honored to be on your pod and um, great to be with you to talk about so many positive things today. So thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day and schedule. I know uh, NFL this season um, crazy would be one word. What word would you use to describe it? Oh my goodness. I don't even know. Uh, Herculean, crazy, um, bizarre, um, you know, um, proud that we're getting through it, but it, there's just, there's a lot of words that you could use to depict what we're doing right now, but I guess we're just making it work and hanging in. That's kind of my daily mantra. I'm hanging in there. (laughs) Like the rest of the country. Yeah as we are on, I believe, month nine of this pandemic. And, um, you know, it's different everywhere, all across the country. Every NFL team is experiencing this in a much different way. Mm-hmm. And as you know, George Kittle of the 49ers is my son-in-law. And so I have kind of like an inside look on what they have gone through, which is in- insane as they're currently sitting in Arizona. But before I get into kind of talking about NFL, my first thing I have to ask you this as a native Canadian Mm-hmm. I want your critique on George's "Oh hey there." <laughs> oh hey there! <laughs> and I, I'm I'm certainly not even going to try because I can't do it justice. But it seems to be his thing. I think George is in a world of his own. Honestly, I mean, I don't know what like what he's doing with his hair right now. I just want him to get healthy. So that's my thing for for George. You know, he's one of my favorite players to cover in the league. He's he's a he's something else. Um, <laughs> I would love for him to learn how to really capture the word a, I think it gets misused a lot, um, for, for Canadians. Okay. Uh, it's really a, you know, a confirmation type word like, Hey, it's cold out a, so, you know, it kind of confirms it's almost a rhetoric, a rhetorical word that we use. So I, I, I'd like to see George incorporate that into his, his dialogue. That's, that is, that is high praise and uh, very good advice, um, from, (laughs) and from, you know, authentic. Yeah. Authentic Canadian. So I will pass it along to him. We'll Thank see you. if we can get it in. I know he's thrown in a sorry a few times. <laughs> you just did it perfectly. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'm kind of up north. <laughs> do you know, Shelly, do you know I had a boss once who called me into his office and he said, and if he's listening in any capacity, he knows that I appreciate him. But um, he said, you sound, you're, Stace, you're, you're too Canadian. And I said, what? And this is in television, right? So you're thinking right. to yourself, wait a minute, you're telling me I sound too Canadian? So I, I was like, give me, give me a few words. And he's like, well, you say the word bean, like uh, Ben bean, like B E E N. Like I've been here before. It's, it's been here before. You can't say, you can't say bean, you have to say Ben, (laughs) but he also mentioned sorry and tomorrow. And in Canada, that's how we say them. So I had to learn how to say sorry and tomorrow. (laughs) In in your best Midwestern dialect. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I love it. Um, So speaking of Canada, what was it like to, to grow up in Canada and, you know, just give us a little insight as to mm-hmm. the upbringing of Stacey Dales? Well, I grew up in hockey rinks. My brother, two and a half years older, played, was an extraordinary hockey player. Um, unfortunately, he became in Canada what's known as a goon on the ice. So while he was this skilled, very, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, Shelley, very gretzky at esque type player. He could do things with a hockey puck that I had never seen. Um, but he, you know, he, he wore warped in morphed into a six, three physique and became a football player because he would get in too many fights on the ice. And I, you know, spent the entirety in the penalty box. So I grew up watching that. Um, and you know, I grew up in a small town in Canada. I love Canada. I still miss it. My hometown was uh, called Brockville with 21,000 people. Um, so they developed a house league in basketball and we didn't have a whole lot of money, but my parents always, you know, wanted to try to give us something to do to, you know, kind of exercise our passion. And when I stepped on a basketball court, I realized, okay, soccer was my first sport, pretty good at that track and field. I'm pretty good at, but this place, 
the hardwood and you know about the hardwood. This is where I belong. This is my home. So basketball was kind of my favorite thing in the whole world. Did you absorb any of that uh, aggression like your brother? <laughs> when I played, I think my passion. Yeah. I mean, he yeah. was pretty tough on me. I won't lie. I think he's one of the reasons I do have a, a very strong um, desire to excel because he was very hard, ch- ch- tough on me and challenging in many respects, um, which you later learn, you take all of the silver linings in life. And uh, he was also extraordinary athletic, extraordinarily athletic. So he was kind of my idol and I wanted to be better than him. So that was also a little push in the back of, mm-hmm. you know, how can I be good? What's the age difference between the two of you? Two and a half years. Um, so, you know, he went on to have a great CFL career. He was a punter in, in the, in the CFL, um, after he kind of destroyed his arm, he, he got very s- severely injured on the field. So he, we, we started out as soccer players, um, that, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was one of the, however many kids running to the, to the all 22 of us is <laughs> running to the ball to whatever number it is. Horn ball, um, we call that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, he was a good, he was a good soccer player and ended up as a punter. Is, is that where your, um, interest in, in, in the NFL or in football in general came from, from your brother playing? You know, the crazy thing is when you grow up in Canada, I have a hockey night in Canada, um, little poster behind me. Um, hockey is religion. Okay. And at the same token in our household, my, my dad is a diehard Buffalo Bills fan. So we wouldn't have, he would rather watch an NFL game than a hockey game. So our family had an affinity for football from the time I was little, I would tell you. So did you have a favorite team? Well, I kind of, I kind of, uh, you know, you know, the Avenue was sort of the Buffalo bills. I mean, we loved, we were big Jim Kelly fans and, mm-hmm. um, Thurman Thomas, uh, to me was like the best running back then, but yeah, I, I, I didn't necessarily have a favorite team. I kind of just was like, okay, my dad thinks they're pretty good and he likes them. So I'll go with them. <laughs> I, I have a similar, uh, upbringing. My dad was a diehard green Bay Packer fan. So it was, and you know, I'm in the Midwest around Wisconsin, Illinois and, and Iowa. And so you, you're either a bear fan, a Viking fan or a Packer fan here and yeah. there's no crossover. And so, and it's so cool to be one of those fans because they have such uh, an electric fan base. Each of those teams, I love doing any one of those games on any given Sunday. They're awesome. Um, the Packers Lambeau field is absolutely my favorite stadium in the NFL it's nostalgic. It's historic. It's everything you expect Lambeau field to be. So, and I, I kind of like it when it's really cold there too. And, uh, you get that kind of bone chilling cold in your body and you, you kind of realize, Oh, when you win here as much as they do and Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre and company, it's, that's pretty, uh, pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, ab- absolutely. It's a lot nicer though, when there's fans in the stands and you can at least kind of <laughs> snuggle up <laughs> in that cold weather. Oh, I, I totally agree. It's been weird, Shelly, to not have fans. It, it's kind of, um, I'm kind of mixed with it, right? So, you know, typically getting in and out of a stadium is you're dealing with the, you know, the, the, the masses, right? Like, so getting out of a stadium is just unruly after a game. <laughs> so in the respect of, boy, it sure does make transportation in and out of these games a heck of a lot easier um, that, you know, that's a positive, but the, the negative of course, is to not experience the energy that we're used to. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you've been in every athletic venue and when you feel the energy of a crowd and then the electricity of a good play, there's something magnetizing and captivating about it. And to not see it, Lambo is a good example. I, I just did a game there and it's eerily quiet. Mm-hmm. It's just eerily quiet. Every stadium has been a little different with the noise they pump in and the music they play intermittently between plays and series. Lambeau is very quiet. And so it's a weird, weird feeling, but to see how good they've been, uh, again, it's just been impressive. Absolutely. And they are, you know, I, I have to think from a playing standpoint, I mean, you know, you played sports obviously at a high level and just trying to go back and imagine ourselves in arenas like Okay, let's say you're playing in the national championship against UConn again, and there's nobody in the stands. I Bizarre. Mean, 
just the difference that that would have made from a mental standpoint and a preparation standpoint. Um, You know, and these guys are used to playing in front of thousands upon thousands of screaming, crazy, rabid fans. And it's just quiet. It's a huge adjustment for them. Now that you've taken me back to that 2002 loss. Thanks, Shelly. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Maybe we would have won. Hey, there you go. No no fans. Maybe we would have won. Not, not, not so fast. Dale's. Uh, that team, wow, they were incredible. But yeah, I agree with you. It's it's crazy bizarre, right? So mm-hmm. you feel like, it feels like a scrimmage, I would tell you. Um, you know, I remember, you know, or a preseason game where you go, there's no fans, like there's nothing really, to, you feel like, what are we playing for? It's the preseason. Mm-hmm. The difference is they're playing for a Super Bowl, which is like, and they're, and so to me, teams that have the greatest mental capacity and the greatest mental aptitude and strength and that are smartest in terms of really following the protocols and the guidelines are the ones that are going to be victors and victorious at the end of the season. And I'm, I'm seeing that right now with some of these teams that are vigilant as far as COVID goes, and they have incredible leadership on their rosters. And so, you know, as you and I talk about leadership and, and, getting through tough times and adversity, the teams that are doing it and have that leadership are those that are excelling. And it's, 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 you know, outside of injuries, cause sometimes those are the uncontrollables. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been really impressive to see some of these teams rise to the top through the pandemic. It really is. And it's one of those intangibles that you always talk about in leadership. And there's always intangibles that, that get teams beyond their talent and beyond their stats to those, the pinnacle, to the championship games. This isn't an intangible that any of us could have scripted. And so everyone has had to adjust to that on the fly. What have you seen from your perspective mm-hmm. um, on how teams are actually doing that, Stacey? Oh, it's such a good question. And it's just, there's so much to, to say on it. Um, I mentioned leadership, defining roles, um, making sure that, you know, it's one thing we put so many expectations on coaches. I know you've, you know, coached and mentored. And it, when you have a locker room or a group of players that can be self-policing and have coaches within the players, mm-hmm. now you're talking about something different where you have an Aaron Rodgers that can say, ah, that's not going to fly in this locker room mm-hmm. to where the head coach, Matt LaFleur doesn't have to say it. The teams that have that internal policing, um, I'll remember, never forget Roger saying that, you know, the best teams are, are player led teams where the locker room dictates what happens. And at the same time, the coach is able to define roles and say, you know, you know, you, you're good at this and I want you to do this for us. Forget, forget the role player like Aaron Rodgers talks about. I'm saying him a lot because I think he's extraordinary. And you, I, I take an opportunity. I don't know about you to learn from some of these players and these coaches that achieve at such a high level and, and sort of incorporate some of that into my daily life. And, you know, and you can take that in every aspect, corporate world, um, you know, entertainment industry, the sports world, the news world, people that are extraordinary and good at things are something, you know, people that we can learn from. So I always look at that and I just think it's so cool to see player led teams with great policing internally and defined roles and really transparent communication is another thing that I've picked up on, um, especially through this pandemic, because it has been every week. I have coaches and GM Shelly tell me they wake up at three in the morning and they look at their emails and check their phones to, and in fear of, you know, did one of my guys get COVID um, and how this then affects the team moving into the next week, because the protocols are strict. They absolutely are. And they have to be. And, you know, as you mentioned, everyone, um, is adjusting. I agree with you about uh, the, my favorite part of broadcasting. Now I was on the, I obviously played, did the coaching thing. First of all, the, the broadcasting thing I love because you still feel like you're in the game, but you can go home and go to bed. Cause you don't really, <laughs> the outcome doesn't determine. It. <laughs> yeah. So there's that. <laughs> well said, but, but the, yeah, just being there and on the kind of having that inside look and, and ear on what's being said the body language, the stories, you know, that got them to that place. And in addition, I would add to what you said about, you know, the, in the locker room and the leadership and the, um, 
you know, the guys that are stepping up, it's also, you know, the, the seniority or the veterans. If I feel like the more veteran players that are there that have been there, done that, um, are even probably more important in this environment. There's no question about it. I think, I think you're aptly correct. It is when you have that, you know, experience in your, in your company, your, your locker room where they can see everybody's perspective, but also have that accountability, that sense of accountability, that transparency. Um, it's, it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. And, uh, I see it. It's amazing. You mentioned the energy. One of the things that I'm really missing right now is walking into a locker room. And what I mean by that is I can walk into a locker locker room in the NFL and immediately, even if I didn't know the record, I could tell you if this was a winning team or a losing team. Winning is contagious as losing is contagious. And I've certainly learned that through the NFL. And and the the energy in a locker room is it tells stories. It is it gives you illustrations, um, gives you a snippet into you know what that how good that team is. Do they have the right leadership? Um, and you can really discern the good ones from the bad ones in a particular season. So I'm really missing that, but you can almost kind of see it when you watch some of these really good teams, eight and two teams, nine and two, three, whatever teams win at this stage. Sure. And it's going to be interesting, I think, as we get into the latter part of this season now to see how this is wearing on teams, right? I mean, oh yeah, in any season, when you get into the, the dog days and down the stretch, as they like to call it, um, you know, those are the teams, like you said, you're going to see step up and the mm-hmm. teams that are already wary and, and weary um, are going to fold quickly. No question. And without a necessary, you know, necessarily having the bubble, which we saw the NBA, the NHL do, you know, I think about your 49ers, right? Okay. They have just been ripped apart by injuries. Yeah. I mean, George, George, George has been injured. Uh, you know, when your quarterback, your franchise quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo gets injured and you're missing a series of players. That's one thing. But if you don't have that leadership, yeah, maybe, maybe you have that one guy on the team that's headed out to uh, the, the, the party that we're not supposed to be at right now, right? So now you're putting risk management in place. And those teams that have that player leadership, you know, can kind of self-police and police within the locker room, which is so helpful to any coaching staff. Speaking of leadership in the locker room, I know that um, you were in that position as a player yourself. You went from Canada to the University of Oklahoma. First, I have to ask, what was the draw to Oklahoma? Because they weren't exactly a powerhouse in women's basketball when you signed (laughs) with them. (laughs) Great, great question, Shelly. I mean, yeah, for a program that was virtually abolished, um, thank goodness for Title IX and and thank goodness for Sherry Cole. I mean, she's still the head coach there, but she was a part of the big draw, if not the biggest draw for me, her energy, her vision. And her hair. And her hair, yeah, (laughs) and her hair. Best hair in the NCAA. A hundred percent. We've given her enough, um, you know, grief over that hair (laughs) over the years. But I would tell you that one thing I loved about Sherry, she, she looked at me and said, I want you to run my team. And she believed in me and she had every confidence that I would be the one to lead the team. And she, she didn't care if I threw the ball at a security guard and, you know, you know, suffered a turnover in the process. Um, she had complete faith in me. And I think that goes to, back to the leadership because, you know, Sherry was, a, it was such a supporter to me. And, you know, I think a lot of times in our world, in our society, we sometimes can have leaders who can break us down in a negative way. And, you know, there's that, that element of flourishing is, is, completely um diminished and so sherry was a really good leader for me she said go you know here are your wings you've got wings but i'm gonna you know help you grow them just go fly and uh you know in in retrospect best coach i've ever had because she she felt and and gave me that level of confidence before i knew where i could go with it really but you you hit on something i think that is really important that because she gave you your wings, because she had that confidence in you, it allowed you to make those mistakes. And, and then when you made those mistakes, I'm assuming you probably got over them a lot quicker. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think what you just said, and when I think about it, um, 
we forget that just because we're on a team, we're all uniquely different. We're all uniquely um, built differently. And that's where I say defining roles to me is absolutely critical for any coach, for any leader, for any CEO, for any executive. And then recognizing the differences, we all have different skill sets. So those roles are accompanied with skill sets is inserting such confidence and belief into those individuals Mm -hmm. and stroking that, not that ego, but that, that joy that we all have. I, I, when I, if I talk to kids now, um, I always tell them who, who was the little girl or boy inside you? When I see a, a, a 17 or 18 year old, you know, player in college who's struggling, they're in their own mind. They have the talent. Do they have the work ethic? That's another question, right? If, if you have the talent plus the work ethic, Drew Brees, <laughs> that's a hall of famer right there. Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, boom, boom, boom. Um, Patrick Mahomes, awesome. But, you know, when you think about that little kid inside of you, we, we forget it. Every year we get a little older, we forget about it. And we forgot the reason we did something we loved. And so I just remember, you know, do your leaders allow you to find that little kid inside you? Or is it just so hard? Is it just so negative? Is it just so um, ego dominated that you've destroyed the little kid? And so like, I would just encourage everybody, coaches, regardless of your age, players, Remember that little kid and the joy that you got into this for whatever it is that you do and spread that, spread that through the locker room. It doesn't mean you're going to have tough days and you're not going to be able to discipline your, your, your teammates or, or, you know, each other. But I just think that when you, when you think about the little kid, it's passion. That is what passion is. It's the root. And I can remember being in college and, you know, a teammate may, we might be running a sprint and a teammate the big toe was over the line. So they were cheating to me. <laughs> Dude, I'm going to call you out. You ain't going to run that sprint because it ain't fair then. Yep. And that's player leadership. That's passion. I'm going to win this. We're a team, but I'm different. So I think for coaches and, and players alike is recognizing that, that your passion is that little kid and don't lose it. Keep finding it. And for coaches, just keep, keep reminding your, your kids of that. Mm-hmm. And that's when you start getting this five players on strings that play in such capacity of joy that they play really good together. Yeah. And to your point, there's, I, I had a coach ask me once and I thought this was the craziest question, but now I get it. And I actually ask people it when I'm coaching them, I'll ask you it. He said, what was your greatest mistake today? And I was like, greatest mistake. And it's not an oxymoron. <laughs> the whole point is what did you do that you screwed up, made a mistake that you learned from that you can get yeah. in the lesson? Yeah. I, I shoot. I'd have to really think about that because I've made a lot of mistakes. I think thinking that we're, you know, not mistake prone is, is foolish. Mm-hmm. There was a time when I went through and thought, well, I'm got to be perfect. Yep. I'm a very flawed and I've had, I've made many mistakes on a court and off a court through my life, but yeah, you do try to learn from those mistakes but I think that serves as a great reminder that you have to go back and take a look in the mirror, mm-hmm. you know, and, and understand like I, you can fail. Failure is really the gateway to success. It is. And the more times that you fail in life, if you do learn from it, it is the gateway really. Um, but I, I love that. I, I also think that there's a way that we communicate. Communication is so underrated and it's so overly talked about at the same time. Uh, I had a coach once when I was a young kid growing up in Canada. And he said, the most important thing when you lead people is you always tell them the good right away. Mm -hmm. And then you can get to, Hey, there's that mistake. And we're so quick to charge others of how bad they are and how poor they performed and how, um, maybe it's because of their own life. They're unhappy with something they're taking out on another person. Um, that happens so often that you can forget the good. And that's where I say, go back and remember the little girl because the little girl is passion and that passion enables winning. And so those, those mistakes, Shelly, I couldn't agree more. They're, they're important. And uh, you know, I, when I made a mistake in practice, I gave myself 10 push ups on the side to remember it, you know, because you can't just keep doing it over and over. 
That's, I guess, the definition of insanity, right? <laughs> if you'd like to take a deeper dive into peak performance training, then I invite you to check out my collaboration with Dr. David Kruger, executive mentor coach and CEO of Mentor Path, an executive coaching, training, publishing, and wellness firm who guides performing professionals to achieve and sustain peak performance. If you want to play to win, it requires answering these two questions. One, how can preparation, practice, and performance be developed and applied to consistently generate optimum performance? And two, how can coaches and players individually and collectively achieve and sustain elite performance success? The three peak performance playbooks and seven webinars offer practical guidance for both coaches and players to systematically apply mind, brain, and performance sciences to achieve and sustain optimum success. To sign up for alerts about the upcoming launch schedule, please go to my website, ShellyTill.com, and there you can click on courses and then peak performance. I, you hit on something too. I wanted to, because it popped into my head. You mentioned George earlier and what you're referring to about that little kid inside. I think um, I, I talk about that and as a leadership quality. Um, I've heard it referred to as fan, fanness, meaning you have to have somebody in your corner that has your back no matter what. And you know that they're going to be there, encourage you, support you, lift you up, hold you accountable, kick you in the butt if you need it. Mm-hmm. And that's the way he plays the game. He has that little kid in him that is in, in, you know, enjoying what he's doing his childhood dream. But if you watch him, I think what his secret sauce is, mm-hmm. or special, what really makes him special is how he makes everybody else around him better because he has that quality of fanness. He is for everyone in that locker room. Yeah. And he breathes life into them, especially if somebody makes a mistake. And I love this. <laughs> yeah. And so I just, I, I, I wanted to, because as soon as you were talking about that, he's what popped into my mind. And that's also what makes him so goofy and silly and, and just, you know, has that lightheartedness about him because he truly is just a little kid playing a game. Yeah. And, it, and there's a certain humility, humility with that too, that I love. Um, I, I'm a, such a fan of superstars that are humble mm-hmm. and that walk with kindness. And I always say you can't teach kindness and listen, we all have bad days and we all have good days, but at the end of the day, um, do you inherently have that? Because it can take you so far, you know, just in the TV world. And I think you get this, it's building relationships is so important, right? And what we do, you know, you know, getting, earning, earning the trust of a coach to tell you something internally about their team to where they understand that that will never be divulged, but it gives you a perspective of what maybe they're going through that other people on the outside don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when I talk to young people that are starting in, in the TV industry, and I don't think I'm an expert on everything, trust me. I've just learned over 20 some years of doing this that you either have it or you don't. And the way you walk into a situation like George, he, he's so humble. I love interviewing him. Mm-hmm. The way he walks into a situation, he leads with kindness. And at the end of the day, you can tell a story the way you do. You can deliver the way you do. You can write a script the way you do. But do you have that in your heart to deliver it? Because if you do, I think that's what guides you. And so I know you have it. Um, I like to think that, you know, for me, it's helped build relationships over 12 years in the NFL. And I'm so grateful for it because, you know, to have a relationship with a coach means the world to me to, to where I can get some information and, and they know they can trust me with it. And I'm going to tell positive stories versus negative about their team. Absolutely. I'm, we are an extension. Uh, we are a PR extension of everything <laughs> that we cover. And which leads me to your broadcasting career, Stacey. I want to kind of, how did you transition from the WNBA into a broadcasting career? What led you there? Yeah, after my rookie season, Shelly, um, ESPN was auditioning. I, um, I couldn't be more grateful to ESPN um, and the opportunity um, that was presented to me. And uh, Tina Thornton, a woman who is an incredible woman and an extreme talent and just such an ambassador for ESPN for still to this day, um, was the one who hired me to be an analyst. I auditioned, they asked me to come back for another audition. And I went 
and it worked out. And I, I felt very blessed that that happened early, you know, in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, it also, you know, was, was grounds for a lot of learning for me and, you know, becoming a, all of a sudden a professional on TV and being 22 or whatever age I was 23 a lot, you know? And so I, I kind of got burnt out. I was playing basketball and broadcasting and, you know, after a certain amount of time playing professionally, you just kind of run into burnout and, uh, I didn't want to compromise the level of play. So I retired for a season. Um, and after three years in, in Washington and with the mystics and, uh, the Chicago sky called me to come back. So to start their team, and that was challenging to start a franchise. So I learned a lot through that. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, injuries kind of mounted and I ended up in the TV world and I'm still there. So, um, great. I'm definitely grateful for the journey. So I know, um, being a woman in sports broadcasting doesn't come without its challenges and Mm -hmm. I can imagine it's gotten better, but, um, I mean, we, we all still deal with that, but when you were at ESPN, I have to toot your horn as the first female in the studio for men's basketball, um, just paving the way for everybody else that's come behind you. So thank you for that. But thank you. What were some of the um, when you look back at that? Because I know when you left, you you know there was a some comment about you know having to take a stand and stand for something and make decisions that affect the quality of your life moving forward. And so, mm-hmm. just what was it, Stacy, that kind of brought you to that point? As that at, you know, because again, that's a challenge that you had to deal with as a woman in the sports sports world. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Shelly. I think there were a lot of misconceptions about me. I mean, I was in my twenties and uh, to be quite frank, when you're in your twenties, you, you know, nothing. <laughs> oh, and you know, I'm 41 now. And, uh, so I look back with that gratitude because when you're in your twenties as a woman at that time, yeah, it's a, we're still trying to fight for some, we're still trying to fight for some equality. Okay. Yep. I mean, let's be real. It's 2020. Uh, that was back in the, you know, the, the early two thousands and through the, you know, 2005, six, seven, whatever era. And, um, so, you know, you go through experiences where you've had things happen to you. You've been followed to your hotel room, um, by a man, or you've been grabbed a body parts been grabbed on a field rush in a, in a college football atmosphere in a big game. Um, or you've been called names walking out of a stadium that are really, really, um, nasty, harsh, you know, just, you know, covering the NFL, walking out of a stadium and there's a drunk guy and he's calling you a a really, really nasty name because you got your suitcase and you're on your way to the airport and you don't respond. You keep your head down Mm -hmm. because if you respond, what is that? Oh, you gotta be quiet. So, you know, it's, it's been a balancing act of like learning how to navigate, um, being a woman in this industry and standing up for what you believe while not be, while being not called a name associated with standing up for something, whether that's difficult diva, um, you know, I could go on and the list could go on. I think every single woman that was silent for a long time could probably agree with me in some capacity. So that was, that was a tough process. I was burnt out playing a professional sport. I remember Shelly, <laughs> I would go do a game for ESPN, which I love ESPN. I, I, I'm so grateful for Tina and the entire crew, um, Dan Steer, everybody there, but for giving me a start in my career in television. I mean, how lucky and fortunate and blessed I felt to have that chance. But I remember going to a game and I would bring my sneakers and another backpack and I would go into like, let's say it was an ACC game. I don't know. Let's say I was going to Wake Forest, right? I would be like to their PR or communication staff, would you, I need an auxiliary gym to go train. So I would go interview the coaches and then I would go find an empty gym and maybe they would have a jugs machine. Maybe they wouldn't, but I'd be training while I was on site to, to cover a game. And I'd be on the court doing like jab steps and like, you know, individual basketball drills that you're just like, you know, spinning your mind with, Right. And that was kind of my experience. And I went through a marriage too. And, and that didn't you know work out. So there were a lot of things that were just too much for a young 20 year old. And then, you know, my parents kind of agreed with me, like, if this, if this time doesn't work out after seven and a half years here at, at this great place, and it just, you're, you're, 
you know, integrally it's time to move on, then that's what we do. And so that's what I did. And a year later, the NFL network called me and I've been with them ever since. And I love football. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it's a, yeah, great things happen to great people. I can imagine though, Stacy, in that year in between, there were probably, um, if you're he- like most humans and especially women in this business, uh, you know, those downtimes, you can start questioning what the hell am I going to do? And, or, you know, just the challenges that come in, uh, even mentally and emotionally, uh, did you have those? And if so, yeah, how did yeah. you handle those? Oh, it was really, and there are people in worse situations, Shelly. Okay. I mean, look at what we're going through right now. So I always look at it with great perspective and respect, but that, that year off was really hard. There were a lot of, I think really hurtful. I'm a very sensitive person and there were just a lot of really hurtful things said, which, you know, in itself causes depression. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking at jobs of every, I, 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 exactly what you said, what's next. And I'm meant to do this for the rest of my life. Is this my career path? Am I supposed to be in television? I moved to California and which ended up being where I found my next job. So God is really good, mm-hmm. but I was looking to do jobs as I, I could be a dog groomer. I was applying for, you know, public relations things. I was, and there were just no bites. And I, cause I didn't know what I was going to do. And when you don't have a job, I would say for a young person out there who's thinking about leaving your job and going to something else, make sure you got another job lined up, (laughs) right? But, you know, when you're 28, 29 years old, you don't know that all the time. So it was a challenge. It was a real, I really went delved into my spirituality. I think that's probably the greatest gift, um, which had started just before I left Chicago. I found Bodhi, which is a spiritual warehouse of sorts. And then I found Agape in California and um, just really, you know, learning how to, um, you know, inwardly, you know, find a place of peace, I guess. Mm -hmm. And to remember that there is that little girl in there and you got to take care of her. So I am great. I'm grateful for all the experiences. It doesn't mean they were easy Mm -hmm. and uh, all the journey journeys that I've had around the country, I guess. Are those still part of your practices today? Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm a big Don Miguel Ruiz is a big, as somebody who I absolutely am obsessed with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The mastery of self, the mastery of knowledge, the mastery of, um, you know, um, love all of that, but we all get lost sometimes and that, and that's okay too. And I think trying to ground yourself and come back to something that you believe in is important. Um, you know, I think that comes with age and, and that means wisdom. And I have a long ways to go. I will tell you that. But um, I am just, I really live, like I'm very grateful. I, and this pandemic has been hard, Shelly. So if your level of anxiety is a six normally, mm-hmm. add four add three or four. Now you're, now you're at a 10. If it's, if you're pretty cool, calm, collected person, you're at a three, it's, it's at a seven right now. Mm-hmm. And so it's been tough for everybody. And I really appreciate people that are truly on the front lines. I think they've gotten forgotten along the way, but uh, I also think it's enabled for stuff like this to connect with people and, you know, the silver lining, my dogs, um, uh, I don't know if they'll ever be able to be alone again. <laughs> they, dogs love pandemics. I, yes, I they do. They are know? the winning. They are the winners. They are the national champions of the pandemic. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you follow um, thoughts of a dog on Twitter. Oh no. But, I'll have to check that out. Oh, Shelly, you've got to check it out. <laughs> it's my favorite follow on Twitter. Like it, I'm obsessed with this, this the, and they just, the thoughts of a dog is the story of a dog and they just wrote a book. So I'm going to buy the book on Amazon if they have it. What I've learned in this pandemic is I have way too many shoulds in my life and in my mind and need to get rid of those. And I've also learned to give myself grace that if I'm at a seven someday or a 10 someday, that's where I'm at. And yeah. if I don't have the bandwidth to meet that day and what it needs, I'm not going to shame myself for it. And mm-hmm. uh, that has been a really hard lesson because, you know, you're, we're high achievers. We're, we're used to being, you know, at our best or pushing ourselves to be at our best. And you, when I wasn't doing that, I felt like I was failing. 
Did you experience any, any of that kind of stuff during this last nine months? Yes. Yes. And so one of the things I do, um, if I'm not flying on, on a weekend to a game, I drive, I, I drive to, to, I drove, drove to Detroit, which is four and a half hours. Indianapolis is three. Green Bay is three hours. I listen to podcasts. Mm -hmm. And so what you're talking about, um, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown, mm -hmm. who's such a motivational speaker and influencer and um, presence. I mean, she's put it right there with Oprah. Like she's yeah. oh, phenomenal. Absolutely. Like if, if you haven't listened to Brene Brown, go on one of her podcasts. Um, she talks about what's called relative suffering. Yes. And I think what you just described is relative suffering. Like, okay, I'm not a frontline worker, but I'm traveling. And I'm, so I shouldn't feel suffering. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm at a seven or an eight on the anxiety scale. How dare I? Like, I need to drop that down. And no, a good cry might need to happen. Mm -hmm. And maybe a little self grace needs to happen. Maybe we fall a little bit. Maybe we spend an afternoon watching Netflix in bed if we're not working. Mm -hmm. um, relative suffering is so real. And it's, it's, I, I, that's, you know, when you listen to these podcasts, something comes out of it always. And I just like, that really hit me mm -hmm. because uh, through this nine months, you know, everybody deals with it differently. We've had an incredible amount of, of negative political discourse um, and as a Canadian, you know, we, uh, <laughs> we wear masks regardless. And so, you know, there's just a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of, um, hurting. There's a lot of pain. Um, there's a lot of suffering. And, uh, I think it's appropriate to step back and look at that and say it's real. And, you know, my reactions through the pandemic have really struggled on things. My, my, my fuse, my, my wick is a little shorter, so I really have to kind of step back and realize that and see it when it's happening. Like, okay, you're overreacting right now. <laughs> like, yeah. Fix it. Okay. Awareness is, yeah. Awareness is a big thing when you can get on top of it. <laughs> yeah. And you have kids. So it's like, it's, I have such respect for parents. Um, I don't have any yet, but shoot, I, I got respect for parents out there that are trying to get through this and make it work. Yeah. Well, fortunately my kids are adults older, a little bit. House, so I haven't had to homeschool because that would be a whole other reason to crack a bottle of wine every night. <laughs> um, so Stace, uh, I, I could talk to you all day, but um, since we're talking 2020, as we're about to turn the corner into a new year, I, I feel like everybody thinks 2021 and all this is just going to magically disappear. At least, at least we can have that hope. Right. But when you think about just kind of looking back on, everything that's gone on in 2020, personally, professionally. And I talked about the lessons being learned. What is one thing you want to keep that you've learned from 2020? And one, what is one thing you want to punt? <laughs> mm. What a, what a great question. Goodness. I want to keep my, the drive that I have. I have an incredible drive to be successful. It's not because I, I, I want something out of it. I just, want to achieve and be extraordinary. So that drive like keeps me, yeah, I'm going to tackle this. I'm going to, I'm not missing a zoom this week. I mean, we tried to put, plan this right. And I'm like working around my zoom schedule. I mean, I've got my, I've got my board, my whiteboard here and it's loaded every day. That was today. And Love so it. like, I'm just, I, I want to keep that. I want to keep my passion for cooking, because through this, this pandemic, I love cooking and, um, that's all I do. Cause there's no restaurant opportunity to go to unless, you know, we do takeout. Um, what I, what I want to punt, I would tell you, and there's probably a lot more of the, the first part, the latter, um, or the, 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 uh, first part of it, but for the latter, um, I want to punt my, um, that, ability to let a situation cause reaction in me and get, you know, the frustration because, you know, you're stuck in the same place with the same people all the time, or you, the anxiety level you have with traveling. Um, I want, I want to, to, you know, I would punt some of the reactions that I've had um, and, and maybe my level of sensitivity a bit 
and you know, cause it, cause it's, I think we're all at extremes right now. So my sensitivity, it's like not unusual that I could just like be, feel very hurt for no reason, mm-hmm. you know, because of something that's, you know, been said on the outside or, you know, not even affecting me necessarily, mm-hmm. but just like the hurt that the world is experiencing. Yeah. So I guess uh, I'm a very empathetic person and a very sensitive person, as I mentioned. So maybe uh, being a little more forgiving in those areas. Yeah. And, and trying to have that boundary of not, I want to ask you now though, what would you, what would you um, punt (laughs) and what would you keep? Um, Oh gosh, I would keep the, um, the stillness that I have at first I fought it, hated it. Um, And I'm not like a, I'm not a person that needs to be around people all the time. And so for, but for me, and I worked from, I work from home normally, so I was used to that. But I think just knowing that you had limits, you couldn't go out. You're not supposed to go out. You're not supposed to congregate. You're not supposed to, you know, and you can't travel. And I love to travel and I haven't seen my children since July. And so, um, that say that forcing me to find peace in the quiet, in the stillness. And like I said, I fought it at first, but now I actually um, embrace those moments. And much to what you were saying, Stacey, it's, it's allowed me to figure out when I am feeling, and I'm using the word triggered, activated inside. And then I have to figure out, okay, where am I feeling this? And where is it coming from? And is the state that I'm in determining the story I'm telling myself? And mm. what, what is that story? And so that's been something that um, hasn't been, always been easy. Uh, it's daily and it's hard mm. and I have to work at it every day. But it's also, I laugh because it's, I coach people around grit and resilience, right? Yes. So what happens when you're going to coach somebody around something, you're going to be tested with it. And I often joke and say, uh, why didn't I say I was going to coach people about how to travel around the world and have fun? <laughs> like, duh. You know, the obvious, right? Yeah. So uh, that's what I would say is a long answer to what I want to keep. And what I want to punt is the inability to see family and, and the, yeah, just that part has been really hard. um, Yeah. For, I get emotional. Yeah. I get emotional hearing that because I haven't seen my family either. They're not allowed to cross the border. All of my family's still up in Canada and uh, they're not allowed to drive through the border. So I'm missing them. Mm-hmm. I yeah, get it. Definitely makes you appreciate, um, you know, people and, and mm-hmm. less things and more people, I think. Yeah. And I, and I can't wait to hug them again. <laughs> yeah. It's a hug, you know, yeah. again, my dog, he's gotten more hugs in the last few months. He's like, get away from me, woman. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think I kiss my dogs probably like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe 150 times a day. They're probably just disgusted with me. <laughs> And I've really noticed their breath is just horrific during the pandemic. That's another thing. I'm just like, do I need to change their diet? What does this mean for them? <laughs> That's so true. Because <laughs> they're always in my face. Well, Stace, I want to end with, um, I ask everybody this, because uh, it's too much grit to quit. When you hear the word grit, what does that really mean to you? Because it could mean a lot of different things to different people. What does it mean to you? Toughness. Um, strength. Um, being formidable in times of adversity and challenge, grit, having a will, um, a will to succeed and accomplish and attack. So, and it's, it's having, it's having the fibers within you to do that. Um, through, especially through times of adversity. So I would say, you know, for me, that's what grit is. Um, and it's not something we all can achieve. I would also say you can find that toughness and you can find that extra little piece within you when you're really pushed to the test, it's always there. Mm-hmm. You know, God really doesn't give us more than we can handle and everything truly does happen for purpose. And I think the grit is part of that. And that helps us, you know, not only see it, but like get through it. And besides yourself, cause you just described yourself, who else <laughs> would you say exemplifies grit to you? I think I could say every one of my family members mm-hmm. in some capacity, because we're all getting through this. I mean, I can't even individualize somebody because we're all like, we've all had different struggles, Mm -hmm. but everybody's coming through it. 
I think overarchingly, I would say people that have a lot of grit right now are those that are, you know, have been forced to be out during this pandemic in hospitals working in frontline. And it's not a misused term. It's an important thing. I think it's people that are doing everything they can to, to make things good. And last thing for people that are listening, because they're usually people that are on their way to or from work or working out or going for a walk with their dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we've mentioned many times, everybody's experiencing this in a different way. But for people that are listening, what words of advice or encouragement could you give to people that might be really struggling in this time? Mm-hmm. Oh, goodness. <clears throat> be gentle on yourself and the little girl or boy or person within you try because there, there is a lot of addiction right now. There's a lot of mental illness right now. As I said before, everything, I mean, you add four anxiety points to wherever you're at. It's, I don't care if you're naturally calm person, there is anxiety there. It's a tough time. It's just, it's really hard Mm -hmm. and it's hard to do all the normal things that you, you know, used to do right now. So I would say, find find that little girl or boy or person within you and cradle it and recognize it. And even when you're struggling to see it, because that's, that's part of the whole process too. It's like when you have a reaction or you're feeling sad or you start to cry, it's okay. Be in that moment and catch, you know, catch that little person that's within you because that, that person never goes away, regardless if you're my 97 year old grandmother who's fighting through a pandemic right now. And her, you know, um, her home in Canada, her elderly home in Canada, or it's, you know, a two-year-old. There's It, it, it lies within us, all, I believe, all of us. Stace, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule and for just being here and all of your words of wisdom and encouragement. You helped somebody be better today. So thank you. Thank you, Shelly. It was an honor. That's a wrap for this edition of Too Much Grit to Quit on Blue Wire Hustle. I'm your host, Shelly Till. Please join me again the next time and make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform.